0: Amen, amen. Well, you brought your Bible this morning. Say amen. And uh, let me ask you all again, did you bring your Bible? Yes. All right, Ephesians chapter one. So, we're starting a brand new series of messages through the book of Ephesians. And today we start off talking about what is crazy good about the church. Now, we often use that terminology, don't we? The word crazy good, or at least I do. Whenever I have something that really tasted well after a meal, I'll be like, Krista, that was crazy good. Cook that again. Uh, Whenever we have a great time, maybe a great trip or whatever the case is, we're like, that was a crazy good time. Well, what Paul the Apostle is doing is he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's elevating the fact that what God has done for the New Testament church is indeed crazy good. And what he's done for you and I is crazy good as well, and we're going to see that together this morning. But when you think about the church, oftentimes we don't think that it's really going extremely well. In fact, whenever we consider the church in light of our culture, sometimes it looks like we are losing. And by losing, I mean we are losing bad. I mean, if you look at what's happening in the culture, our culture currently is driven by power, money, greed, selfishness, and sex. All of those things are elevated as things that are worthy to try and attain. So that's what's being elevated in our current culture. And then at the same time, the attendance in American churches is declining at a rapid pace in fact George Barna did a research survey and came across what was uh, undoubtedly one of the greatest declines in the church's attendance in many many years in fact he writes uh, concerning a 2014 report that regular church attendance has declined from 43 percent in 2004 to 36 percent in 2014 now Uh, That may not seem like a whole lot to you, but the reality is they uh, actually characterized regular church attendance as those who, check this out, went to church once every six weeks. So if you went once every six weeks, you were included as a person who regularly attended church. But here, what we see is that church attendance throughout America has declined rapidly over the past 10 years. And oftentimes when we consider our culture and our church body, what we do is we sometimes think that we're not gaining ground. We're not leaning into Jesus as a culture. It seems that we're actually leaning further away from Jesus as a culture. Sometimes that makes us feel like we are inferior. Sometimes we may even feel like we are insecure. Maybe even feel intimidated in our walks with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reality is that's what was going down with those who were in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, the church at Ephesus would have been having extreme feelings of insignificance because of what was happening in their culture. Uh, just a little background before we dive into the book, and you've got to grasp this. We're doing some Bible study this morning so that you can really get a hold of what we're trying to get at today in the scripture But what's happening in the culture of Ephesus is that Ephesus was a metropolis made up of around 200,000 people whose entire existence, for the most part, was actually designed to worship a false god by the name of Diana. In fact, Diana's uh, temple is considered one of the seven uh, great wonders of the ancient world. Now, this false goddess was actually a goddess of sex, and there was a huge uh, ring of prostitution that occurred within the context of worship of Diana. One commentator noted the city centered around the temple worship of Diana, and it brought money, it brought great power, it brought greed, it brought sex, it brought even the use of drugs in a heavy fashion. And the industry of Ephesus, the industry now, was actually... uh, Primarily made up of all things related to the temple of Diana. In fact, the temple treasury was so great that they actually gave out loans to its citizens there in Ephesus. They made small statues of Diana and they would take that goddess uh, statue and they would place it inside their homes and they would uh, offer up worship to that goddess on a regular basis and then they would have huge festivals of worship for Diana. And they would take those uh, little statues that they had in their homes and they would all march together in a massive parade down to this huge temple and they would put those down there and they would worship Diana all together as a city. In fact, uh, Paul the Apostle went preaching through that city on one occasion. And whenever he preached, he preached that they should repent of their idolatry and they should turn to faith in Jesus Christ. And there were some who responded to that message uh, there were some who responded and it actually caused a great riot in the city. And the reason it did is because there was a guy by the name of Demetrius who lived there. And Demetrius's entire livelihood, check this out, was predicated upon selling those idols that he made. So he would carve them up, he would sell them, and that's how he would feed his family. But when Paul came through and said, repent of your idolatry and trust Christ, he said, wait a minute now, if they do that, I'm going to lose my business. So he stirred up a phenomenal ruckus during that time. You can imagine what the culture was like. The culture uh, there was very similar to our culture here in America today. Driven by that power, by that greed, by sex, by selfishness, by etc. All this stuff going on, uh, very similar to what's happening. So check this out. Are you all with me? Say yes. In the shadow of this massive, beautiful well-visited temple for Diana was this small church, the church at Ephesus, most likely started by Priscilla and Aquila. But then Paul the Apostle, on his third missionary journey, shows up in Ephesus, and he pastors in that church for three years. And then whenever he leaves Ephesus to go on another missionary journey, he leaves timothy to be the pastor the shepherd of that particular fellowship and now paul is gone and he hears what's happening in the church he understands that they're feeling insignificant that he understands they are feeling inferior when they are standing in the shadow of this great worship of diana so he wants to send them a letter of encouragement to build them up so that they can see all together that what god has done for the church is so much better than what the people have derived in their false worship of Diana. And at the same time, are y'all with me, yeah? What's going down in the context of those who are receiving the letter, which by the way, when you study a letter, you want to know who's writing it, want to know what's going on contextually, it helps you when you study it. But they were feeling not only inferior because of this great worship of Diana, but also... Many of them would have been feeling inferior, check this out, because they were Gentile believers and not Jewish believers. Now listen closely because this is wild. Jewish believers, are y'all with me because I'm already digging deep. I want y'all to follow me though. Jewish believers grew up with the Old Testament scriptures. So whenever they came to faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, they had all of this prior knowledge of the Old Testament. So when the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2 and they all got around and studied the scriptures, well, they didn't have the New Testament yet. So what they were studying was the Old Testament. So the Jews kind of had a leg up on study of the Old Testament. So the Gentiles came in and they trusted in Jesus Christ. And now they are a part of the church and some of them were feeling inferior because, and you can imagine, if you were Gentile in that particular time frame, and you showed up to a Bible study, and there were a bunch of Jews in there, and they were quoting left and right the Old Testament, you would think, oh my goodness, I'm so far behind. That's how they were feeling. And they were feeling oftentimes like they were second-class citizens in the New Testament church. And so Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm writing you this letter. I'm going I'm to show you that what God has done through Jesus for the church Is so crazy good that you're going to be amazed at all that he has in store for us. And that's true for us as well. So you may be here this morning, you're thinking, oh my word, it looks like the church is losing. And the culture is just going to hell in a handbasket. Well, listen, here's great news for you. God is still doing an awesome work in the church. And he has a plan for the church. And then check this out. You may be here today, and you may be a new believer. And you hadn't grown up in church, and you don't have all the Bible knowledge that maybe some other people in this room have. And you come in, and you kind of feel insignificant, inferior, kind of keep quiet. And you think, oh, my goodness, I I can't believe I'm even in, right? And maybe you're even here today, and you're like, I can't believe the ceiling didn't fall through when I walked through the doors, right? But the awesome thing is, you're going to discover that all of us come to salvation the exact same way. None of us have a leg up on this thing called salvation. It's all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, are y'all ready to dive in? and Say yeah. I mean, are y'all for real? Because y'all don't look like you are. All right, all right, all right. So here we go. Ephesians chapter one. Stand with me and out of God's word this morning. We got several verses to read, one through fourteen. Here we go. The Bible says, "Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful." In Jesus also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance which is a view to the redemption of god's own possession to the praise of his glory can somebody say amen uh, verses uh, 1 through 14 in the greek new testament all one sentence are y'all with me so i'm going to read it again and i'm not going to take a breath are you ready i'm just kidding but it is amazing it's like paul was so fired up about what he's writing it's like he just couldn't stop his pen man right he's just like here's what's happening here's what's happening here it's an amazing truth. I mean, I hope you get it this morning. You came to church on a good day. If this is your first time, you showed up on a good one. Let's pray together, all right? Father, in the name of Jesus, take your word and plant it into our hearts. Help us see what you're doing with the church, which is crazy good. Fill me with your Spirit. Use me as you see fit. Draw people to yourself. We'll give you glory for it in Jesus Christ's name. That we pray. And everybody said, "Amen, Amen." So go ahead and be seated, all right? So the key question this morning is, "What is crazy good that God is doing in the church?" All right? What has He done that is crazy good? Here goes the very first one. Jot this one down in your listening guide this morning. I want you to know that we are part of God's eternal plan. We are part of God's eternal plan. That's what Paul wanted the church at Ephesus to know. They were feeling inferior. They were feeling insignificant. And Paul says, listen, we, the church, are a part of God's eternal plan. Now, Paul's writing again to the church at Ephesus primarily made up of Gentiles. Just so you're aware, uh, if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. So to put it mildly, in this particular time frame, Jews and Gentiles did not get along with each other. In fact, even in the temple, that is the temple where the Jews worshiped before the church was birthed, where they worshiped, they actually had a large wall built, and on the wall, there was an inscription that said, no Gentile can pass by this gate, and if they do so, they take responsibility for their own death. Are y'all with me say yes? Could you imagine if that's how we rolled here at Concord? And uh, we had a huge wall up in here, and we only allowed so many people to go beyond the wall. But everybody else is like, you got to stay back, and if you come past that wall, we're going to kill you. (laughs) That'd be a welcome committee, wouldn't it? But that's how it was. And so now, check this out. In the minds of the Gentile believers who are new followers of Christ, they knew what it was like before the Messiah Jesus came. They understood the rub between the Jews and the Gentiles. They understood the separation that occurred. They understood what the temple looked like. So now they're wondering, they're wondering how is it going to be now in the church? Are we still separate? Are the Jews greater than we are? Uh, Are we kind of second-class citizens? Should we be sitting on the back row? Are we allowed to actually come all the way in to worship? Or should we still kind of stay segregated, far back from what's going on? And so Paul the Apostle says, uh, Listen, verse 3 and 4, look at your Bible. I want you to know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. Now, notice how He opens it up. He, he, notice what He doesn't say, all right? Because sometimes it helps to see what He doesn't say to kind of magnify what He does say. He does not say, uh, blessed be the God and Father of my Lord Jesus. He doesn't say that. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. So he is, even in the introduction, including the Gentiles in on what God is doing. Now, this is important because Paul's making it clear that they had the same access to the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, as the Jews do. So he's elevating this. God has actually blessed both Jew and Gentile believers with every spiritual blessing. That means every single spiritual blessing that God has in store for the church, he's given to the church equally, Jew and Gentile, all of the blessings that magnifies salvation. In other words, they have the same salvation as the Jews. This is Paul coming out of the gate in the letter. Letting the believers in Ephesus know that they are seated at the same table of salvation and they are experiencing the exact same blessing. So check this out. They should not feel inferior as Gentile believers like they are second-class citizens. They are at the same table of salvation. Uh, Speaking of sitting at a table, this past week I was hanging out with uh, the interpreters that were assigned to me as I was doing pastor training. And uh, these interpreters were phenomenal. So I'd speak a little English, they'd speak Spanish, and uh, they were helping us get the word out. So after the training, we went and sat out and actually had a meal together. And uh, while we were having a meal, I began to kind of get to know the translators. So I was talking to one of them. His name was Jesus, which I called him Jesus the whole time, which was a lot of fun. Jesus, J E S U S. Y'all are rough, man. Good night. So anyway, so I, I'm sitting here and I'm like, all right, man, so tell me your story a little bit. Come to find out uh, he's an ex-con. Uh, come to find out the other guy that was with me is an ex-con. So it's just me, two ex-cons. <laughs> and then I ask the guy, I say, hey, man, well, tell me, what were you in for? And he just looks at me and says, murder. I said, I, I'll, I'll pay for your meal, man. No worries. I got your back. Uh, here's the amazing thing. <laughs> Because he was. He actually killed somebody. (laughs) Are y'all with me on this, man? I'm by myself in Mexico with two ex-cons, one who kills people. And y'all didn't pray for me at all last week. But here I am. So I'm talking to him. And then he begins to share with me about how I came to know Jesus personally. Phenomenal salvation story. And then as he's sharing, you can see the humility in his eyes. You can also see that he almost thinks that he might be a second-class citizen because he kind of came in late because of his life previous. But as we're sitting there, I said, man, I can't uh, tell you how awesome that story is. I can't tell you as well. Man, this Sunday, I'm preaching out of Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to know something. I grew up in a Christian home. I came to faith in Jesus at a young age. I hadn't killed anybody yet. (laughs) Y'all with me? But I want you to know, you and I sit at the same table of salvation. And here's what's awesome. I said to him, I'm just talking to him because I'm thinking about what I was preaching. I was like, I should be going to the same hell that you should be going to. But we've been saved by the same Jesus. And because of that now, we are together in the table of salvation. Celebrating what Jesus Christ has done. So that's what Paul the Apostle is doing. He's saying, listen, some of you feel inferior. Don't. Don't feel that. I know it seems like you came in late, but listen, you are a part of what Jesus is doing because the church was a part of God's eternal plan. In fact, he says it there. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is, before God ever created the world, he had already made a plan for the salvation of both Jew and Gentiles in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul wants the Gentiles in Ephesus to know that their inclusion into the grace of God is not some made-up new thing. It's not some plan B all right, when Jesus came and the Jewish nation rejected him, when he went to the cross as a result, that wasn't God the Father saying, oh my word, I can't, this is going completely south. No, that was all part of God's plan. Because God was, through Jesus, going to redeem both Jew and Gentile. And he already foreshadowed that, by the way, in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, you not only have Jews who were trusting in God, but you also had Gentiles as well. Remember Jonah at the beginning of the year When Jonah went and preached to the Ninevites And all of them turned to God Listen, all of those Ninevites Who were they? They were all Gentiles He's already foreshadowed it And now through Jesus, he's bringing people into the family. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, we are all part of God's eternal plan. The church is not a backup plan. The church was a part of his plan from the get-go. The church existed, check this out, the church existed in the mind of God eternally before it existed on earth in the Lord Jesus Christ. The result of God's choice was verse 4, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Uh, think about it like this. In the Old Testament, Israel was God's mouthpiece to the lost nations. So God was going to speak through Israel so that others would come to know who God was. Now in the New Testament, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the church is birthed, and the church now has become the mouthpiece of God to the lost world. That's what Paul says as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. As though God himself is making his appeal through us, begging people to be reconciled to god so this is what god's doing god's using us now so therefore we should live holy that is set aside we should live blameless lives that is live in such a way to influence others not actually tear them down live in such a way to lean people to faith in jesus christ don't live your life in a way that causes people to step away from the lord but rather step to him so he calls us to live holy and blameless And we're part of that awesome, eternal plan. Now, here's the second truth. And this one is all crazy good as well. We are trophies of his grace. Jot that one down. We are trophies of his grace. Look in verse 5 in your Bible. The Scripture says, In love, he predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved now what is this text telling us this text is actually telling you and I that God predetermined that the church he had chosen would be adopted into his family and at the same time he is going to make the adopted members of his family to be objects of his grace think of it like this God chose to birth the church before he ever threw down creation he predetermined that he would adopt us into his family and adopt us from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And then watch this. And he would make us trophies of his divine grace. You know, when I was growing up, man, I played you know, sports. And one of the best things about sports as a little kid is at the very end of the season, you get a trophy. You remember how this rolled out if you ever played sports? Sports. All right, and so the coach would call all the people's names out And he'd be so fired up Because he would say something real nice about you And I was just thinking about all the cool stuff he could say about me <laughs> But i sit there and I'd wait And as soon as he called my name, I'd go up there And I remember one trophy that I had It just had a, had, a, had a mitt, a baseball mitt on the top of it And you could put a baseball inside And the whole team signed the baseball Man, I carried that trophy I showed that trophy to everybody Check this thing out You know what God's done? God has brought you into his family Made you a member of his church And he has put you in his trophy case And he says, I want to show the whole world My grace And then he just points at you (laughs) Then he points at uh, Pastor Jesus Who was helping me last week As an object of his divine grace Matter of fact, uh, the church is a trophy case, as it were, made up of individuals who have experienced God's overwhelming grace. God has surrounded us with his favor in Jesus to elevate the weight of his grace for every person to view. Matter of fact, when you think about this, it's pretty phenomenal. I remember whenever I went to buy an engagement ring for Krista. When I went to look at rings, they would always take the ring and put it on a black velvet backdrop. Well, why did they do that? So that the diamond would shine with great brilliance, right? This way they, they don't put it on a white, but they put it on a black. So they're like, look at that diamond. So you can see it from every single angle. Here's what God's done. God has said, listen, I know the culture seems like it is turning away from me, but I'm still working in the church. I'm so working in the church. I know the culture seems dark and bleak, but here's the thing. I'm taking you as a church, and I'm putting you right in the dead center of it. And I'm telling the whole world to look at every shade and every picture of my grace in your life. That's what God's done. It's a phenomenal concept. Notice in verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And you see the word redemption there. The Greco-Roman world, very familiar with this concept of redemption. This is the idea that you would actually purchase a person who was in slavery by paying a price for their life. Well, the Bible teaches you and I that we're all born slaves of sin, So we are in the slave market of sin. But Jesus, by his grace, sent by the Father to come and bring redemption for the church, actually came and he redeemed you. That is, he purchased you out of the slave market of sin. That's where you used to be. You were all bound up. And uh, you were just awaiting your day of death. Because the Bible says all of us have sinned. And all of us deserve death. But the scripture says Jesus came and he actually died for us in our place on the cross of Calvary. So he paid the penalty of our sin. And then through his death, his burial and resurrection, all of those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ at the moment, you got to check this, at the moment you trust in Jesus, the Bible teaches that God, check this out, speaks you clean. Yo, y'all, didn't come to church this morning. I don't know where y'all came, but uh, we're, we're in church this morning. As soon as you came to faith in Jesus, God spoke you clean. That's crazy. What did you do to get that? Nothing. What, did you have a leg up because you got some kind of Christian heritage in your? Face? No, no, you're not saved by Christian heritage. You're saved by Jesus, and you're at the table of salvation. God spoke you clean. He put, and check it out, he lavished his grace upon you. This idea of lavishing his grace, it gives the imagery of heaping up grace upon your life. Heaping it up, like piling it on, piles and piles of grace. And God piled all that on you in Jesus Christ. He spoke you clean, gave you freedom from your sin, death, and hell. And he's given you a promised new life. And right now, God, by his grace, is displaying you for a lost world to see. As a trophy of his grace. You know what God's going to do as well? God ultimately, when this world passes, will usher in the new heavens and new earth. And then God will, by his grace, display you as a trophy of his grace. Not for a lost world to see, but for the angels of heaven to see. That's in the Bible. so I'm not making this stuff up. Y'all with me? This is what the Lord's planning on doing in your life as well as in my life. Notice as well uh, what the Bible says here. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. See, the mystery of God's will was revealed to us in Jesus, namely, That God would in a future time bring all things spiritual and material under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. This actually points to a future time, a time marked by the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in which he will make all things right. You know, the first time he came, he came as a suffering servant. But next time Jesus comes to the earth, he will come as a ruling king. He will usher in a time of peace and all things will be subject to him and him alone. And this was made known to the church through Jesus and So Paul's saying to those in Ephesus and to us The church was actually part of God's eternal plan And you are a trophy of his divine grace Now I've got to give you the third thing I've got to go quick here, alright? So check this out uh, Jot this one down We are equally loved by Jesus We are equally loved by Jesus Now, verse 11 and 12 in your Bible Y'all got that in front of you? Say yeah Alright, so 11 and 12, this is a little Bible study here for us, alright? So 11 and 12, Paul the Apostle turns the tables. He's talking now about the Jews. Whenever we get to 13 and 14, he turns it back and begins to talk to the Gentiles. So notice how he does this, and we'll see it together. Verse 11, he says, Also we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that, notice this, we This is when he's talking about the Jewish believers. We who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Now this is important because Jews coming to faith in Jesus first was also a part of God's plan. You remember even Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now notice this, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. So here it is. Jews were supposed to be the first to come to faith in Jesus. And then the message was to go out. But Paul didn't want the Gentile believers in Ephesus to think that just because they weren't first to hear about Jesus, that they were somehow loved less than the Jews. So Jesus was not merely Messiah sent to the Jews, but he also was a Messiah sent to the whole world. So again, Paul wanted to make sure that they didn't think they were lower class citizens of God's kingdom. But just like the Jewish believers, they'd received the special graces of God the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 13, now he's focusing back on them. He says it again. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now notice, are y'all with me say yes? Because uh, this is where it's going to get pretty awesome if you pay attention. Paul is moving back to the believers in this portion uh, of the text. He's saying it like this. Look, I know that we received Jesus Christ before you did, but you listened to the message. That is, you heard the gospel and you believed. And then he knows this. And the same Holy Spirit who saved us also saved you. Uh, most likely he's referring directly back to Acts chapter 2 When the Holy Spirit came to take up residence in the lives of people In the Jew first And then in the Gentile Matter of fact, uh, when we study uh, the Holy Spirit recently There was one aspect of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives in the church That I didn't bring out Because I knew we'd hit it right now But the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about unity in the church among all of those regardless of their background. He brings about unity regardless of where they're from, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of uh, their uh, physical standing. Listen, all are brought together in unity because of Jesus. As we study the New Testament, we get a better understanding of this and how the Holy Spirit works. Matter of fact, again, I told you before, the Jews and Gentiles highly separated. But Peter in the book of Acts Now I want you to listen to how this works because it's just crazy Peter in the book of Acts went to preach Jesus to some Gentiles who were in Caesarea And listen to some of these passages In Acts 10 verse 34 the Bible says it this way Opening up his mouth Peter said I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality But in every nation the man who fears Jesus and does what is right is welcome to him but well, what is Peter elevating? He's elevating the fact that God has not shown partiality between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, how does he know this? Acts chapter 10, 44 and 45, the Bible says, while Peter was still speaking these words, check this out, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers, y'all with me say yes? All the circ- they were the Jews. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. They're looking at this saying, How in the world are these Gentiles getting in this thing? So, what noted the Gentiles to be a part of God's movement in Jesus? It was the Holy Spirit. And what's why when Peter went back to the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders were all ill at him because he went to those who were Gentiles. Matter of fact, here's what they said You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Are y'all listening? Like, you went to uncircumcised people and ate with them? And uh, Peter's like, yes, I did. We had pork. (laughs) So he says, yes, I did. And he's like this. And they received Jesus. But check this out. The way that Peter knew they had received Jesus and that there was unity between Jews and Gentiles is found right here in Acts 11.15. Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how Jesus used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, check this out. If God gave them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And whenever they heard this, they all quieted down and they glorified God saying, well, then God has granted the Gentiles repentance that leads to life too. Now, come back to me. Y'all with me? Yep. So in Ephesians 1, what's happening? He says, listen, I know we were the first to hope in Jesus, but you also believe. And we know that you believe because you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yep. See what he's doing? He, he's trying to, he's, he's elevating unity. It's like, don't feel inferior. Listen, we're all in this thing together because we all got in the same way. We didn't get in by our heritage. We didn't get in by our Jewishness. We got in by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit has sealed you. It's an awesome terminology, by the way. It's the the same terminology that we use today to describe using uh, earnest money. All right, so if you go and you buy a house, you put earnest money down to show that you were serious about buying the house. Well, here's what God has done to show that he was serious about your redemption. He sealed you. He put an earnest down upon your soul in the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's just to show that he's for real about your salvation. And whenever you came to faith in Jesus and you received the Holy Spirit, even you, look at me, look at me, even you Gentile people. Are y'all listening? Even you Gentile people, just like me, when we received the Holy Spirit, we were made a part of God's eternal plan called the church. When we received the Holy Spirit because we trusted in Jesus Christ, we immediately became trophies of the grace of God. God redeemed Gentile people, so that He might make Jewish people jealous. That's in the Book of Romans, so that they would long for God. <laughs> y'all, are, y'all on you? Y'all ain't paying no attention. And we having Bible study this morning, ain't we? And He did all of this. Check this out. He did all of this just to show that He loves us all equally and he's just put all that grace on you and uh... and what's what's what he heaped it all up on top of you spoke you clean said here's some grace i'm just going to pile it up watch this i'm going to pile it all over you <laughs> and you know what you did to get it you didn't do jack squat to get it zip, zip. none of you are good enough to get it i'm not good enough none of you have a leg up so so here's the thing it, m- maybe you're here today and you're thinking oh my word look at what's happening in our culture the church is losing no 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 check this out Uh, The temple of Diana is in rubbles today. But the church is still around, ain't she? There was actually a clock in Ephesus that said, uh, basically, here is where the great woman of the earth is worshipped, Diana. And Paul's like, nuh-uh. The great woman of the earth is the bride of Jesus Christ. The church. And she's still here. <laughs> all right, that's the, I got to quit. All right, let's pray. How about that? Father, thank you for your word. and God, I know all of this primarily is doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. But God, it is doctrine that uh, substantiates the application of our faith today. We don't want to miss what you're doing, what you have done. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to those who are present today, especially those who have not yet responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may they respond this morning by faith. May their lives be changed. And, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who has brought about unity, which means regardless of where we find ourselves on this planet, when we run into another person who has trusted Jesus, that's another brother or sister in Christ. Maybe even if we grew up in a Christian home, and, and maybe somebody here today is, they came to Christ at a very late time in their life. Lord, they're, they're at the same table of salvation that we are. And we rejoice in that. It's all your grace. And Father, we thank you that you have brought us together in unity and in love. And, Lord, we see that all throughout the book of Ephesians. And, God, I pray that you would help us to see it for what it truly is. And, Father, at the same time, I pray that you would do a work in hearts and lives this morning. So your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, then right now it's time for you to pray. And you're going to ask the Lord to speak to hearts, especially those who have not yet believed in Jesus. Because there are some here today, no doubt. They've not genuinely trusted Christ with their life. And Listen, I want you to know God loves you. God has a desire for you to know him personally. But just like we said earlier, sin is what separates us. All of us deserve death and hell. But God, by his grace, sent Jesus who died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. That's in First John. And then he got up from the dead. and if you'll believe in him today listen God will speak you clean and God will give you the promised seal of the Spirit of God to live inside of you so don't miss that so if that's you today and you want to give your heart to Jesus then listen in a moment we're gonna stand to our feet I'll be here in the front the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved I'm gonna be here uh, down in the front other pastors as well we want to pray with you we want to rejoice with you help you in your walk with Christ Jesus. So if that's your prayer, you just ask the Lord to cleanse you right now where you sit. God will do it. Now I'm going to invite you to come forward. We want to pray for you and help you along in your walk with Christ. Or this morning, God may be calling you to join this church body. If that's the case, you'd be obedient to the Lord as well. So Father, we thank you. Pray that you'd work in our midst this morning. And that's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning.